0: Welcome everyone. I'd like to call the March 22nd, 2023 meeting of the Transportation Commission to order. Tonight's meeting is a hybrid meeting. Members of the community are welcome to join the meeting in person or remotely through Zoom or by telephone. Since this is a hybrid meeting format, I will be calling roll. Please answer in the affirmative
1: when your name is called. Kurt Ahrensfeld. A.J. Antrim, Shri Balamarugan, Is not on Zoom. Uh, Rafael Fernandez. Here. Patrick Vu. Present. Vice Chair Brian McGee. Present. Chair Faith DeBolt here.
0: All right. So uh, now we'll move to approval of the minutes from the January 25th, 2023 meeting. Um, we didn't have a February meeting. So are there any comments or corrections
1: of the meeting minutes? I didn't have any. So do we have a motion for approval? Okay, second?
2: All second. All
0: right, all in favor say aye. Aye.
2: aye.
1: Any opposed? All right, Min- minutes have been approved. So um, now's the opportunity
0: for members of the community to provide public comment. We can have up to three speakers per perspective per topic. Please limit all public comments to three minutes each. And we ask that you treat everyone with kindness and respect. We want everyone in Kirkland to feel welcome to express their viewpoints. If you're in person, please fill out the sign-in sheet. And for those online, please provide your name and address. Uh, Remote employees who would like to comment, please raise your hand in Zoom or press star nine if you're calling on the phone. Uh, Let's see, Franz, do we have anyone who would like to address the commission this evening?
3: Uh, Yes, I believe tonight we have uh, Ms. Lisa McConnell.
4: For short people. (laughs) Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, My name is Lisa McConnell, and I'm speaking on behalf of uh, Kirkland Greenways. I would like to say that we all agree that uh, uh, opening Park Lane to Pedestrian Plaza was and is a great success. Survey results flooded in, and a vast majority of public respondents were highly supportive. And retail and business experts will tell you that it is higher desirable anytime you can get customers to spend dwell time in front of or in your business. The courtyard atmosphere of Park Lane Evenings does just that, giving people a chance to stroll, hang out, and explore. Essentially, window shop and discover your business. Drive up, park, and go into a business does not lead to the exploration and discovery that Park Lane Evenings do. It is now widely accepted that well-designed, well-managed places deliver economic, social, and environmental benefits and that placemaking goes far beyond quality of pavement and street furniture. It's also called placemaking, not place made. So it is a process, an evolution, not an object or a singular event. That is why Kirkland Greenways would like to see Park Lane move to the next steps. Allow Park Lane closures evening, weekdays, and full-time on weekends, May through October. A set schedule allows the public to have that as a permanent possible thing we can do when having that, what do you feel like doing tonight uh, conversation? What I heard in the small block group conversations that I had as part of this um, discussion about Park Lane, the nearest transit center and library uh, need further thought consideration and activation. Um, So the East End block um, needs to be um, supported a little more in the Park Lane closure activity. An example might be something that I saw King County do with um, the Seattle Kraken, which was a um, family-oriented get-to-know-the-hockey-camp and and shooting pucks. And I think the east end block near transit lends itself well to more activity-based activation um, since it's more open and doesn't have the um, mature trees and other things um, that the uh, west end of the the block does. I also heard that um, a, a call to bring back the Wednesday markets um, in the Park Lane area. I also would like to the Transportation Commission in the future to rethink the cost of parking. We do so for residential and apartment developments. We need to rethink business for businesses and how public, sp- how public, how much public space we are willing to give to cars. Thank you.
1: Franz has it. Franz, is there anyone on Zoom? Uh hi. Okay. Do we do all in person first and then Zoom or yes. we go back and forth? Okay. Is there um, others already on the sign up list?
3: Uh, Mr. Kurt Dresner. I'd like to remind everybody that we you only have like
5: three minutes for your uh,
6: for your public comment.
5: Yeah, uh, I won't I won't be too long. Um, I just want to say that I'm very excited about the future of Park Lane. Um, whenever I'm down there with my family, uh, especially during the evenings on Park Lane, the atmosphere is just so it's so different than at other times. Um, I was just down there. Uh, a couple days ago, and it was not even evenings at Park Lane. It was just a regular day, and the line from Serena Gelato was going out the door and into the street. Uh, people were having to actually dodge cars that were coming in to park. Um, there was definitely not enough room on the sidewalk for all the people that were just walking up and down. Um, I think, I think we have an opportunity, uh, as the the person who went before me said, to really make a, a cool place um a destination, the kind of thing that you know you go to not to go to just one specific store or one specific restaurant, but to go to as a destination in and of itself, a place where you can uh see neighbors, a place where you can interact with other people, and a place where you don't have to worry about dodging giant metal boxes. Um, I think on top of that, we have an opportunity to reduce uh reduced a lot of our maintenance costs on Park Lane. Uh, I've seen a lot of bollards that have been uh you know n- knocked askance by uh cars that are parked incorrectly um we also have to worry about all the runoff from vehicles uh and, and that complicates matters as well. so I just really think there's a lot that we can do uh, I I've also heard a lot of fear and I, and I understand a lot of it. Um, a business is a, is a is a big investment. It's, it's a huge part of, of, of some people's lives. But this sort of thing has worked before. There are plenty of examples uh, and plenty of existing solutions to a lot of the concerns. Um, I don't think I don't think we need to be uh, particularly timid on this issue. I think I think we can do something really bold and really cool. Um, So that's all I wanna say.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Friends. Uh, Next we have Miss Tina Moody.
7: Hello, my name is Tina Moody. I'm one of the owners of a business on Park Lane. I'm speaking on behalf of the businesses located on Park Lane and the Downtown Alliance that we have started to um, show the city that we are absolutely 100% opposed to the closure of Park Lane. Our customers, the patrons that spend money in Park Lane are also opposed to it. This will we will be bringing forth to the council within the next month or so to show that the people that are actually coming into Kirkland to frequent our businesses, don't want to see the street closed. They want to be able to find the businesses, they want the accessibility, they want the parking. There's already lack of parking. You'll notice that everybody that comments on the closure of Park Lane, their main concern is lack of parking in Kirkland. And now the city's planning on taking more parking away. I'm not sure why the city hasn't proposed maybe to look for a place they could put a parking structure up and then come to the businesses and propose this. They might get a much different um, response if there was adequate parking, but to take more and more parking away from businesses that are already struggling from lack of parking um, seems like it's, it's, This is going to be seriously damaging to the businesses. I've talked to many of the businesses. They've said that if the lane is closed, they will move. There won't be businesses left on Park Lane. You guys are talking about the livelihoods of dozens and dozens of people. That, you know, it's they did a summer Sunday. We all did a survey on how much we lost or gained from the summer Sundays. The city never followed through on it. We did. All the businesses lost anywhere from 10 to 60% of their regular businesses on Sundays. So now you're proposing a full-time closure? Do you think the businesses will be able to sustain at a 30% closure? I mean, a 30% loss of business. You know, we need to think about this. This is more than just a few people that would love to see the street closed. This is the businesses and what it takes to maintain the businesses in Kirkland. We have customers that come from all over the state of Washington. So I, I really hope that you guys take a little more consideration into the, what the businesses want and need to be able to sustain their businesses and not with just a few community members that like to bike ride or walk down a Kirkland that just don't want to look at cars.
1: Thank you. Franz, do we have uh, any commenters on Zoom?
3: Yes, we do. Uh, we'll start with Mr. Leo Gilbert. Uh, Mr. Gilbert, you have three minutes.
1: Uh, can you hear me? Yes.
8: Thanks. Um, um, I'd like to speak in favor of closing Park Lane. Um, Lisa and the gentleman after her um, said, uh, said said it beautifully. I can't add too much to what they said. Um, uh, just I think the speaker that we just heard from shows a lot of the fear that the gentleman was speaking about um, these. And as that gentleman said, uh, these types of pedestrian areas work all over the world and in other parts of the country. Um, uh, my wife and I were in Boulder, Colorado just a few years ago. Um, and they have a huge thoroughfare that that is completely closed to traffic, several blocks um, with hundreds of businesses. And it was just fantastic, you know, and you can park on the side streets and you can park at the end of this area on, on, on each end. Um, and these businesses were just fine. Uh, and so there, there's a lot of fear, maybe because Kirkland had doesn't have an area like this and hasn't tried something like this before. But there are probably thousands of examples all over the world of areas like this working wonderfully. Um, so, it you know, also it's just a few parking spots. Um, you know, is it, is it really going to make that big of a difference? Um, you, you know, anyways, if we're trying to get people into Kirkland by other means and transit, walking and biking, um, having an area like this, um, you know, will make a big difference. Uh, you can just roll up on your bike or walk um, they're, they're. I think the businesses may be um, uh, a little blind to some of the people that are not able to access um, these areas, because it's not so friendly to walk and bike there. So um, that's, that's, uh, that's all I have to say. So I'm, I'm in favor of, of closing it. And I would love a place in Kirkland where I could go and not worry about um, cars.
1: Okay, thank you. Anyone else, Franz?
3: I believe this should be the last person, Miss Tina. Um, I hope I'm saying your last name correctly, Juanes.
1: Um, Hi, can you hear me? Hello? Uh, yes, we can.
6: Hey, sorry, um, this is actually, uh our store iPad and it has uh, my mom's name. Um, I own um, Ivy along with my uh, mom and my twin on 141 Park Lane. And I also live in the Moss Bay community. So sorry, (laughs) that's why I was using that. I couldn't find my iPad. So, you know, it goes, but uh, before I get to my prepared remarks, I just wanted to say from the speakers before, as we keep hearing these this misinformation about there's only 17 spots, but nobody, this city hasn't done a comprehensive survey. So we conducted one ourselves and we found that of the 17 parking spots, uh, the turnover rate, and this is accounting for uh, only an 85%, or excuse me, a 15% vacancy, which having been on park lane uh, coming up on nine years, I can tell you it is rare that there's ever a spot available Um, And then we also accounted for closure of those spots during holidays. There are over 75,000 annual turnovers. And if you want to tell me that doesn't have an effect on businesses, that's just simply not true. And in addition to that, um, they haven't talked to us. These people are saying that they care about the businesses. They have never once engaged or heard from a business. And we aren't operating from fear. We're operating out of factually, out of multiple Uh, pilots that we've done, evenings on park lanes, um, the uh, Sunday closure. And like Tina said, um, I know I had to pay my bookkeeper overtime to pull all these numbers. We lost between 30 to 66%. I was actually for it. These closures, these are where these pilots are important. Um, Although maybe they backfired a bit on people because I was for some form of a closure. I thought it'd be great until I saw the sales numbers. And I'm not the only one too. And these restaurants also have a real concern, uh, especially coming off of COVID. I mean, everybody just recovering from COVID is their businesses of COVID have changed substantially. They rely on um, takeout orders and they need that through access to quickly hand out meals. There's one restaurant who I want to keep their anonymity. You can speak to them privately. Um, I don't want to speak for them. But 40% of their business is to-go orders, and they are a 9,000-square-fit location that if they went out, they have nine other locations. That is not an easy um, space to fill. And they also say that there's plenty of examples of this working, yet you'll notice they didn't list one example, and they don't have a single factual thing. They don't have a single sales number to back that up. But I'd like to go on to my comments. So in spring of 2019, the city of Kirkland announced a pilot program named Summer Sundays on Park Lane. It proved to be a total failure, and halfway through the summer, it was actually consolidated to just Park Lane West. Then in 2020, the city named it Evenings on Park Lane and framed the closure as helping the businesses. For 2021, the closure continued, allowing businesses to expand into the street due to covid At no time during any of these pilots, did any of the city or staff members follow up to get our input or take any stats about the pilots and whether they were successful or not. They have not been able to provide documentation that reflects 100% of the park lane businesses are against this closure. We did agree to, I believe it was about 40% of the businesses did say that as a compromise, as we know, life is all about compromises. I'd like to see it open all the time, but I also respect our fellow community members in making this an inclusive place to live that I would be for um, evening closure, which I think that's a great compromise. And just to also hit, it's so exclusionary and it's ageist and it's actually elitist to say that you can only frequent Park Lane if you can go on a bike. Well, guess what? Not everybody lives within a block of this very expensive area to go on a bike. And um, so we're not sure why you feel you know more about what is best for the businesses and the businesses on Park Lane. um, We have businesses that have been there for 40 plus years. No one has visited the business owners when they started this and how things on the street have been going. They completed the construction in 2015, the revamp of Park Lane and since that year, They have not maintained anything on the street. The bricks are failing and creating a tripping and fall hazard. The railings around the bio swells and ballards are in total disrepair. The irrigation has actually never worked. Thus, the tree wells are full of dead plants or no plants. With the four years of pilot programs, they've never looked back to ask anybody, how's it going? Has anyone asked Washington Federal how they are affected every night by the street closure? Uh, How the Uber Eats jammed their private parking lot? That is no excuse
3: me. You're you're going over your three minute uh, time allotment. I'm sorry.
6: Oh, sorry. I just have two more sentences. May I finish?
3: Uh, I'm sorry. You've you've taken a lot of the time allotment already. I'm sorry.
6: Aren't I the last speaker?
3: Uh, Yes, but we we have a full agenda tonight, sir.
6: Okay, well, maybe I can email this to you. But yeah, thank you for all your work. And thank you for listening. And we just hope that we're heard on this matter. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Franz. I didn't get
0: his name.
3: You know, he used his his uh, mother's iPad. Um, okay. I'll I'll check the transcripts for his name.
6: Uh, it's Taylor Oynes, uh Ivy One Four One on Park Lane. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right. The we'll move on to the next agenda item. Now, um, this is uh, the discussion of the future Park Lane study. Um we are checking. Yes, we are joined by Victoria Kovacs, uh, the transportation planner, and Martha Childrey, the special projects coordinator, who will provide an update of the future of Park Lane study. Staff and consultant MIG seek uh, commission feedback on initial study findings and draft guiding principles which we will be used to further develop and evaluate vehicle closure scenarios for Park Lane.
9: Great, thank you, Chair DeBolt. And as you stated, I'm joined tonight with Martha Chaudry from the city manager's office, as well as our consultants from MIG, Ellie Schaefer and Nathan Polanski. Martha and I came to you all in January to share with you the purpose of the study, as well as the consultant scope, and solicit your initial ideas. Tonight, um, I'm gonna hand the mic over to Ellie to share their initial findings, walk through some of our guiding principles and get your feedback on some key topics. So thank you for having us.
10: Thanks, Victoria. Um, Good evening, commissioners. Thank you for having us. Uh, My name is Ellie Schaefer. I am a planner and urban designer with the consulting firm, MIG. Um, I'm joined by Nathan, who I'll let um, introduce himself.
11: Hi, I'm Nathan Plansky. I'm a senior civil engineer with MIG.
10: All right, I'll go ahead and share my screen. Um, So this evening we have um, about 30 minutes or less um, of a presentation to share with you. Um, The objectives for today are for us to provide you an update on the study process over the last few months. Um, confirm our draft guiding principles, and share some initial findings um, and options for considerations. Um, then we want to reserve um, at least half or over half of our time with you tonight to have a discussion. Um, you'll see some orange speech bubbles in the corner of some of my slides, and those are the topics that we specifically want to come back to get your insight on, but we'll also have um, open Q&A that we can um, talk about any you would like. So looking back at our study process, so we kicked off with staff um, late December of 2022. Since then, we have been having a lot of additional meetings with different staff departments in the city. Um, We've also done stakeholder engagement. We had listening sessions um, with business owners and other stakeholders um, along Park Lane. Um, As Victoria mentioned, um, staff met with you in late January to provide you an update. Um, on the the process um, and it kind of introduced the study to you. Um, Since then, we have been working on developing our closure alternatives. So putting together some analysis for three different ways that the street could be closed. Um, Coming out of today, um, we wanna get your insight on those alternatives, um, some key topics before they're fully drafted. Then we'll be um, completing the analysis for the alternatives and Ultimately, um, doing some evaluation as to how well those achieve our guiding principles and some cost uh, planning level cost estimation, ultimately packaging that all together in a final report, um, which we'll have drafted um, and we'll be back to share with you and discuss in late May. Um, Ultimately, we will be presenting the findings of our study for the different scenarios to city council um, in a presentation in late June, um, at which point they have the um, option to choose to close the street um, in some way, shape, or form or um, not to. So I'll hand it over to Nathan for a bit here.
11: Thanks, Ellie. Um, so, as kind of it's been alluded to, we've been really busy over the last two and a half months. And one of the things we want to just kind of provide a quick overview, you know we are looking at the the west half of Park Lane from Main Street to Lake Street. And so that's our study area. Um, We've been doing a a deep dive into getting a better understanding of kind of the existing conditions and spaces that exist today on Park Lane. In addition to sort of looking at record drawings and kind of visiting the site, we've also been going through um, previous um, city plans, planning documents, kind of comp plans understanding how Park Lane uh, aligns with those goals as well as digging through the kind of past couple of years of outreach um, and kind of outcomes from the pilot programs that we've heard about from the um, speakers tonight. Uh, So at our kickoff meeting, um, our first kind of step was a kickoff workshop with city staff. We met with about 12 to 15 people uh, across departments and city staff and we talked about kind of successes and challenges that the the different departments experienced from evenings on park lane we heard about um, kind of primary sentiments and kind of key themes and takeaways um, that the city staff had heard from stakeholders and communities uh, to date and also started to brainstorm ideas and opportunities uh, to improve street closure closure experiences In addition to that kickoff workshop, we've had several smaller group meetings with subject matter experts across city departments from emergency services, um, streets and grounds, and within public works. Uh, We've met with the stormwater utility leads. So we've really been kind of gathering a a breadth of information to help inform the kind of existing needs and opportunities along Park Lane. In addition to staff meetings and, and feedback, We also have um, worked through five days of listening sessions with the community. We've met kind of, we have over 12 hours of kind of listening sessions that we logged, and this was primarily um, looking at, you know, hearing from property owners and business owners, local community group leaders, and kind of patrons to understand. What they are interested in what they are concerned about with the study closure scenarios that we've been evaluating some of the key themes that we heard from these takeaways was really kind of wanting to kind of have clarity on the purpose of the study and why is the city of crookland uh, looking at closure scenarios for park lane um, there was across a participants and interest in kind of making sure that businesses can kind of maintain um, and be thriving along Park Lane and maintaining Park Lane as a destination. We heard about other areas even within Kirkland that are starting to kind of potentially draw people away and kind of Totem Lake was an example of some of the amenities that they have there and really recognizing that the activation of the street is is essential. Um, as some of the speakers mentioned tonight, you know the existing the maintenance of the existing street was something that people have, concerns about, as well as the kind of parking um, times of day for closures and kind of weather considerations for the different study scenarios that we're, we're going to be looking at. In terms of the kind of baseline maintenance needs of the existing street. Um, there's a, a lot of kind of desire to have the maintenance and operations of Parkland really kind of rise up and kind of match the place of Park Lane kind of as being the heart of downtown and really kind of providing more frequent cleaning. Um, Looking for opportunities to enhance or improve the condition of the stormwater planters in terms of, you know, they become areas for trash to be collected. There's been challenges with the the railings as you can see in this picture. Um, Also in terms of future events on the street, providing um, water and kind of restroom opportunities, thinking about event power. Um, as well as sort of the kind of access and communications for people who are visiting um, Park Lane in terms of signage and parking wayfinding to get people to and from um, other parking areas off of Park Lane.
10: So our guiding principles, um, we thought it was really important to put these together up front. Um, they really serve as, you know, um, the foundation for our different alternatives that we're looking at. Um, It also provides us some direction in terms of what we want to see or what we define as success for different closure scenarios um, and just kind of help define that end goal. So um, the guiding principles we put together, they are an update to the guiding principles from the 2010 um, Park Lane study. They're also informed by several prior plans, um, studies and policies. Those are um, all listed on the, the right side of my slide here. Um, which all had extensive um, community outreach um, done as part of them. Um, And then they're also informed by staff input um, from all of our conversations to date, as well as what we heard from stakeholders in our listening sessions that Nathan just reviewed. So I will just briefly read through these and then this is a topic that we want to um, revisit and discuss, hear your thoughts on these at the end of our presentation. Um, So our first guiding principle is to enhance Park Lane as part of a larger pedestrian connection between the lakefront, Kirkland Urban, and Northeast 85th Street station area. Number two is to enhance Park Lane's local and regional destination appeal. Number three, um, encourage economic vibrancy and commercial variety. Number four, ensure equitable access for all. And number five, maintain consistently functioning year-round streetscape. So in addition to those um, guiding our scenarios development, they're going to be used as an evaluation tool um, that sort of provides that qualitative lens of how well the different street closure scenarios achieve those guiding principles. Um, That will be paired alongside a quantitative evaluation um, looking primarily at planning level cost estimates. Um, So we'll be measuring these, each guiding principle for each scenario, um, sort of ranking them on a one to five star system um, using measurable objectives. So in your pocket, there's a bit more detail on what we've drafted up or how we would measure each of the five guiding principles. Um, so that's intended to be really transparent. We'll include evaluation notes, like in this example on my slide here, um, and use this as a tool to understand you know, qualitatively how well do the scenarios achieve those five different goals. So getting into the scenarios themselves, um, We've been tasked to look at three separate options um, for Park Lane. So the first is going to be summer evenings, continuing that type of closure. Um, so the street would be car free in the evenings from approximately May to October. Um, summer seasonal is looking at 24 um, 7 closure to the street, May to October. And then the year round closure is 24 7 all year round um, car free. Um, we're also working on some renderings of the street to help understand both logistically um, how the street closure would work, as well as some eye-level perspectives to help communicate the look and feel, um, especially as it relates to some different programming and infrastructure amenities. Our study, we've organized into really five key topics for each scenario. Those are public safety infrastructure, programming, parking and operations. So I've got a couple of slides for each of these five topics. Starting with um, public safety, of course, um, you know emergency access is a really important, hugely important thing and it largely shapes what we can and cannot do on the street. Um, so I'll just note that we're in ongoing discussions with the fire marshal as to what would be required um, if you know any of these scenarios were to um, happen. Um, The main thing I'll point out now is that summer evenings and summer seasonal um, in the fire code are both considered temporary events, so less than 180 days in duration. Um, For that reason, emergency access and fire access um, would happen from either end of the closed area. Um, And because the emergency access is from the outside, um, we are able to place movable objects in the travel lane. Um, The year-round scenario, on the other hand, is a permanent, uh, is considered a permanent closure. So over 180 days, Um, in that scenario, we do need to provide the emergency access lane, um, which would be in the travel lane and um, it needs to be kept as a clear zone. So we're not able to um, place objects in the traveling itself. So again, we're still under um, ongoing discussions with the fire marshal, but that's where we're at right now. Um, Just to help illustrate that a little bit more, we aren't exactly sure at which point the street, the closure element would happen. There's a few different factors that are being discussed with that, but generally these red stars show for summer evening and seasonal where the emergency access point would be from. And then for year round, the red dash line
1: would be the emergency access lane.
10: Looking at our second topic, infrastructure. Um, First with furnishings. So um, the main distinction here between scenarios is really the permanence of the different furnishings and amenities. Um, With summer evenings, anything in the travel or parking areas would need to be set up and put away daily. So it really needs to be temporary, lightweight, um, movable. Summer seasonal, um, we're looking at more semi-permanent furnishings that only are put out and taken away um, twice a year. And then year round, more permanent furnishings, but still wanting those to be flexible, to allow for change over time and to be able to switch things up um, and kind of keep things interesting on the street and provide new experiences. Um, The other key thing with year round is that we'd then be closed uh, during the winter. So making sure that comfort in winter and um, inclement weather is factored in. Um, One key piece of infrastructure in a situation like this is, of course, the actual vehicle access control. Um, So this slide is just meant to show like the breadth and how many options there are out there. Um, Just some different examples of how you can actually make it clear to vehicles that the street is is closed to cars. Um, So not all these photos are necessarily a fit um, for Park Lane um, in terms of quality or or whatnot. we just wanted to show you all the different options that we're looking into. Um, the other main thing I'll note here is that, you know, as important as it is to make it clear to vehicles that they're not allowed to drive down Park Lane during a street closure, um, it's also really important that this is a gateway location. So making sure it's really welcoming for pedestrians and bicyclists, knowing that, you know, make making sure the street doesn't look like it's under construction or closed to all people, um, anything like that. So Um, really just considering these closure points as as gateways as well. Um, A few options we're starting to hone in on a little bit for the different scenarios are shown here. Um, Summer evenings, you know, in the past there's been these white um, sandwich board signs with some florals on top. Um, You know, they're still going to have to be set up and broken down daily, so likely something along those lines will continue to be Um, the best bet, in addition to potentially some lightweight planters. um, It could be the same signs or it could be, you know, maybe an updated, uh, more permanent feeling or elegant feeling version of those signs. In summer seasonal, um, there's the opportunity to have um, heavier elements, um, but still movable. So maybe large, uh, movable letters, or larger planter boxes on wheels, um, or you know, maybe custom metal fencing. Um, lastly, year round here, um, as I mentioned with emergency access, we really can't have much in the in the travel lane itself. Um, the exception to that would be an automated device to control vehicle traffic. So that could be um, a bollard or a gate or something similar to that. Um, here we're looking at a bollard with a light incorporated into it. Um, one thing with bollards, uh, you know, there's There are existing bollard sockets out there today. Um, Generally, they've been challenging for staff in terms of maintaining those. Um, So that's something we are considering. Um, The other, you know, vehicle access control or maybe more gateway signage element that would be appropriate in year-round would be something outside the travel lane. Um, For example, like a monument signage or something that's more permanent, and then Um, a banner on the light posts. Um, And those are actually possible in any scenario. The existing light posts have rods on them for hanging banners. Um, This is another topic we want to get your thoughts on and we discuss.
11: Another infrastructure component that we're exploring are opportunities to retrofit the existing stormwater planters. So these are pictures of the existing conditions um, in January. So these are the stormwater planters. Um, they were built and provide water quality treatment from the roadway and the parking areas, which are considered pollution generating surfaces. So they treat stormwater runoff prior to draining to the lake. Um, what we've heard from through our listening sessions and from staff feedback are some of the maintenance challenges and you know, these end up becoming um, areas that sort of attract and collect litter um, so they become a little bit of an eyesore There are some kind of questions or concerns about opportunities for plantings and so we're looking at strategies and each of the different scenarios to provide some modifications or alterations to these areas and so for um, summer evenings one of the things that we were able to discuss with the um, stormwater utility leads is that the existing um, stormwater planters haven't been observed to overflow during large storm events. So we think there's an opportunity to raise that soil height six inches. And so rather than having um, kind of a deeper facility, raising that up and then also replanting it with taller plants. So this can address both the kind of actual and the perceived depth of those areas. Um, We're also looking at Opportunities to provide partial decking with um, potentially with seating in areas. There are existing structures that need to be accessed for maintenance throughout the year uh, to maintain um, the stormwater system. Uh, but in talking with uh, operations and maintenance folks, you know. There are this is something that they were receptive to and then we also want to explore opportunities for removing or replacing those low railings that you know some people feel that they're a little bit more of a tripping hazard when they are a landscape fence. Um, so those are summer evenings. Um, in, in the summer seasonal it's really the kind of same set of tools, um, but then looking at, you know, can we replace um, railings with maybe something that's a little more Permanent in terms of it can be there for the the summer season, kind of with more seating opportunities. Year round, um, one of the things that was kind of an interesting conversation piece is by removing cars from Park Lane. The roadway and the parking areas are no longer considered a pollution generating surface and so the, the need to have the stormwater planters to provide water quality treatment goes away you no longer have stormwater runoff coming from vehicles and brakes and tires that's kind of providing that kind of pollution um, generating um, runoff and so there is an opportunity to retro, retrofit those spaces for something different um, one of the I guess positive and kind of unique things about the way that the stormwater planters were designed as they are flush along the pedestrian side of the um, stormwater planters. Whereas along the roadway, there's sort of a six inch curb to sort of provide some additional protection. So from an accessibility standpoint and getting people onto potentially a new surface over a portion of the stormwater planters, that is something that um, you know, is readily doable. So these are a variety of things that we're looking um, at exploring. Um, and another topic that we want to talk about and
10: hear get feedback from at the end of this presentation. So then our third topic is programming. Um, you know, it's it's really essential in a, a closed street environment like this to, you know, leverage that new space that's opened up for pedestrians, um, giving people a reason to be there, giving businesses a reason to stay open longer. Um, so that's a big topic we're, we're looking at. Um, with summer evenings, it's really, you know, prioritizing evening, nighttime activation. Um, in particular, you're gonna be getting, you know, after school, after work, crowd. Um, it's a prime time for restaurants, you know, around maybe happy hour dinner time, um, but need to provide a reason for the retailers to stay open later than they normally do um, if they choose to. Um, and then of course the daily setup and breakdown, as I, I mentioned before. Um, Summer, seasonal here, we have an opportunity to kind of capitalize on the better um, weather all day long, Um, you know, especially like weekdays, mornings, midday. Those tend to be kind of quieter times in in downtown environments. So making sure to prioritize activation um, during, you know, all day long. Um, Likely to get a broad variety of visitors um, in the summer, you know, with uh, people traveling more, school breaks, what have you. Again, retailers and restaurants need to be engaged partners in the programming activation. Um, and then also here you start to get into leaving things out, you know, overnight. Um, so thinking more about durability, security, and storage. Um, Year-round is a bit similar to the summer seasonal here. The main differences are going to be the seasons, of course, inclement weather, cold weather, um, making sure to kind of celebrate those times and um, you know, rather than hunker down, uh, give people a reason to to go out. Um, again, activation and durability, security and storage will be key with any um, any programming. Um, when we get to our discussion, we've got a few just examples, initial ideas of how the street can be activated. Um, we really want to see what what you think and um, especially how we can engage the businesses and other partners um, in that programming. Our fourth topic is parking and vehicle access. Um, So, you know, the street closures we're looking at, they're closed to vehicles, open to pedestrians. Um, So what happens there is the parking spaces go away, um, as is vehicle access, of course. So summer evenings, you know, it's closed for the least amount of time. So the parking is just the least impacted overall. Um, Regular vehicle access can occur during the daytime. Um, as well as from near nearby short-term parking spaces and long-term parking spaces um, and alleys. Um, and then, like I said, emergency access um, comes from the ends of either end of the closed area. Summer seasonal, um, parking is impacted longer. Um, again, during the, the closure, um, they can access, cars can access from nearby um, parking lots, alleys, short-term spaces, um, an exception, to you know, driving in the closed area would likely be made for city maintenance to be able to get in there and take care of things. Um, there's also the um, option for commercial maintenance to be able to get in there, um, possibly using a permit system. Um, same thing for year round. Um, you know this is the most impact for parking. Um, vehicle access would only be happening for, from nearby unless uh, city maintenance, emergency access in this case, and again, commercial maintenance with with a possible permitting system to do you know building maintenance, um, other special needs for the businesses um, just to set the stage with existing parking, you know there's 17 stalls on Park Lane itself. Those are a mix of 15, 30 minute spots, two hour spots and um, ADA accessible parking spaces. Um, There's also the lake and central lot on the northwest corner of the street um, and on street parking on all the surrounding streets, um, including um, motorcycle parking and other uh, two to four hour spots. Um, In all scenarios, you know, there's several things to consider with parking. Um, Enhanced wayfinding, especially to the library parking garage and other nearby public parking lots. safety improvements to the garage itself, so people feel more safe and comfortable to park there, um, especially at night. Um, We really want to make sure that this is, you know, an accessible place, so expanding and offsetting um, ADA and short-term spots, um, which might, the quantity might vary per scenario, but, you know, we're starting to think about where would those go. Um, and then, of course, supporting multimodal travel as well. So, helping make it easy for people to arrive by a mode other than their car. Um, our last topic here is about operations. So, a um, big piece of this is going to be staffing. Um, you know, with a street closure and expanded programming, amenities, infrastructure, there is expanded staffing needs, I think, in, in all scenarios. Um, in particular maintenance things like um, cleaning up the street taking the trash um, programming is set up and breakdown of different elements and also you know, maybe being a um, liaison on the street or. Um, you know just helping with other communications, um, so it's um, it kind of varies across scenarios it's hard to say like which is the most staff intensive at this point, um, so we're, we're still digging into that. Um, but generally in, uh, expanded staffing and maintenance needs for all scenarios. Um, storage is another piece to consider, especially summer evenings where things need to be put away every night. Um, storage needs to be really convenient. Um, in the summer seasonal and year-round closures, there's still significant storage needs, although um, things won't be uh, put away as and taken out as frequently, so it may not need to be quite as convenient. Um, and then last but certainly not least is communications, you know, we've heard a lot that there has been a a lack of communication in the past, and that could be improved. So, you know, thinking about the frequency of communications, whether it's a newsletter, um, signage, social media, all that type of thing, but making sure that people are aware of when the street's going to be closed, what's happening on the street, um, and also being able to communicate with business and property owners about, you know, issues they might be having and be able to respond to those efficiently. So I'll just share a little bit about our our next steps and then we um, will open it up for discussion. Um, So we are working on the scenarios development and analysis. We want to incorporate your input from today as well as from Planning Commission tomorrow night. Um, And then we will be having a draft report for staff to review in April. Um, Then we're gonna be doing the evaluation. So again, um, comparing these scenarios against our guiding principles to assess how well they achieve those, as well as doing the planning level costs um, for infrastructure programming and staffing as a point of comparison. Um, we're gonna package that all together into a combined report, which will be available for the public and commissions um, in late May. And again, going to city council for, their, um, for our presentation, their decision if they, if they make one um, in late June. Um, all right. So with that, we have um, a few topics that we mentioned and we have flagged for conversation um, so we can run through these. I think there's four of them and then open it up for um, other Q&A that um, commissioners might have. Um, our first question we really wanted to get your feedback on today was the guiding principles. You know, these are helping shape the study as well as will be used for evaluation. Um, so I just want to open it up to the commissioners if anybody had thoughts or comments on the guiding principles or any questions about how they're formed or how we plan to use them?
1: Patrick: Thank you. Uh, this is Patrick. Uh,
12: no, I really like some of the thought processing in place and so forth, the guiding principles and whatnot. But you know, just just echoing some of the concerns from the businesses and so forth. Now, there's there's a lot of discussion around parking. I think that's a point of contention, and you know, and we've seen studies come our ways as well in terms of there's study here, big Washington Boulevard. There's a lot of these bits and pieces, and I feel like the parking conversation about well, what's the overall strategic view for parking for downtown? How does this fit into it? How does elimination of potentially elimination of 17 spots fit in? And how does that compensate? Just you know, how much of this of this study has tapped into that view or looked at how this contextually uh, fits into the whole parking strategies for downtown?
9: I can answer that, Ellie. Um, I've mentioned to the commission before, and it is one of your, I believe it is one of your work plan items, but the city is looking at broader downtown parking and is um, going to be collecting data about parking downtown. And we are collaborating, of course, in our department and talking about different strategies. And Ellie mentioned we're thinking about other locations if we want to allocate more short-term spaces, um, should that be removed seasonally or long term? So it is being considered, but um, you know, it is a big topic, much bigger than just this one block, but it is being coordinated. I don't know if Joel or Julie wanted to add anything to that.
13: share this with. Okay. Um yeah, I actually have a little update later in the meeting um talking about some of the plans that the city has for this year to do a more holistic um data collection process. Um it will not be in time to really inform this work but we are coordinating that and being mindful of that.
1: Just out of curiosity, I know you
12: guys are looking at elimination parking, but there's that on the, I guess, the west end, right, where you have that municipal lot, the central lot right there. If the street's taken away or that's kind of minimized, can that be expanded onto the street? And at least give some parking space back, or has that been kind of thought through, or is it just keep the footprint?
11: So the the west end of Park Lane is used for access to the parking um, lot. And so that there's not really an opportunity to um, if you were to change that access, you'd be removing parking somewhere else within the lot to provide a different access. And so that's not something that we've looked at. Okay, thank you.
10: Yeah, and I'll just add that portion of the street there is important for emergency access to Park Lane as well.
3: Yeah, this is Kurt Ehrensfeld, um, and um, I just had a couple of comments. One is um, on the maintenance side of things. I do agree that's a big concern, um, particularly with the bricks. Uh, I think they've been pretty good. One of the reasons we chose that over, that was chosen over the concrete pavement was because construction was during the off season trying to minimize the impact on the businesses. Um, so, you know, that's, but there was talk about maintaining that with some special equipment, which I don't think has been done. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I'd be concerned about taking away or reducing the storm drainage um, efficiency. Um, one of the reasons that it is as it is now is because it was a major storm event that was prior to the construction of the project, and it sent it was kind of a flooding event that occurred from the Park Lane park Place Mall at the time, and then sent a bunch of water down into Park Lane and it caused a lot of chaos. And so, and there's not there wasn't. Uh, strong water treatment or flow control in the street at that time either. So I think there's a lot, there was a kind of a pushback on that. And I think it's been addressed pretty well with the facilities that they are now. I think it's a good idea, like those other options with the seating and that sort of thing. But I'd be concerned about taking away some of the efficiencies of that um, system. Um, access also is something that was um, of concern during that design and construction. and it sounds like you've already taken a good look at that, uh, but just again, keep it on the radar. Um, let's see. And then there was a talk about some of the other developments in the area taking away from Park Lane, in other words, the Totem Lake and um, Kirkland Urban. I think those facilities are different. Uh, this is unique in that it's really close to the marina. And I think that's just something that should be played up in the, um, in the options that, you're looking at and also the wayfinding. Um, I think it's really nice that it's so close to the marina, whereas the other facilities like Totem Lake don't have that benefit. Uh, and certainly, urban is farther away, and I don't think it's as user friendly as Park Place used to be. It's just my own opinion. Um, <laughs> just be clear about that. Um, but that's some of the comments I had. I think maintenance is really important, and then also the activation. And communication with businesses very important. Um, can't emphasize that enough. Thank you.
7: All right.
2: Yeah, I'll just add one quick thing specific to the the topic we have up here, which is the guiding principles. And I think what you have there looks good. The only thing I would maybe consider adding is on the fourth one about equitable access. I'm thinking about what is the purpose of Park Lane and the study, and I think safety needs to be mentioned amongst these principles. And that might be ensure safe and equitable equitable access for all um, would be good to have in there because that's that should be um, amongst the scoring criteria as well.
1: Great, thank you. Appreciate that. Anything else from commissioners on
0: this? I just have uh, one comment here that's just uh, from the comments that we've heard from the business owners tonight, and that I know were incorporated into the study and what's being presented. Um, I'm just trying to figure out here in the guiding principles, if there is something that needs to be modified to really um, make sure that we're giving the business owners um, the sense that they are being heard and um, uh, have that opportunity to uh, be involved in the uh, Um, decision-making. We've got to encourage economic vibrancy and commercial variety bullet there, and I don't know if there's a place there to,
1: something about communications um, I feel like maybe is missing. Thank
10: you, appreciate that. All right, Um, if nothing else on this one, we can go on to the next. Um, infrastructure, so this was the vehicle access control and gateway elements. Um, I mentioned what we're you know, starting to look more closely at for the different scenarios. Um, we just wanted to see, you know, do you like these? Do you think these are the best options for the different scenarios? Do you have any other ideas or um, preferences based on your expertise that you'd like us to, to
1: include? Right, Patrick. Yeah, this is just
12: uh, Patrick Vu again. Um, you know, I, I think my big uh, I think my big concern is always maintenance, right? Long-term maintenance. Um, And I think that's going to be, you know, kind of, you know, the, the balance, that I, I guess, we're going to have to face is, is, you know, how much does it look kind of temporary, look kind of very, you know, at, at the end of the day, I guess for me, for this overall kind of feel to this, is like, are we doing halfway? And is halfway good enough or is it just no one's going to be happy and it's not kind of be a fun place to go and it's going to be a loss for businesses as well and maintenance and so forth so to me it's almost like yeah you got some of these high high price and kind of ability to you know movable bollards and all that stuff but long term it's going mean, to be what's the cost of maintaining these these items and so forth i think that's gonna be my concern
1: hey Brian.
2: just a minor one um more for the consideration of Um, we talked about cyclists at one point, and if there is a closure to vehicles, how we set up, um, some of these features at the ends of park lane, Do we want people to be riding full speed on a bike through park lane. If it's a heavier pedestrian zone, just kind of, as you come up with the options and implementation for that, um, have that amongst your considerations for what type of features are shown as examples and, um, that we're in alignment there.
0: Maybe, bike parking on either end.
1: <laughs> um AJ. Haven't actually
7: used one of these mics before.
9: Uh,
7: so in in terms of the signage, I I would think something heavier or more like Bollards would be best both in terms of making sure that we don't have bicyclists going full speed through there, but also Uh, protecting pedestrians and bicyclists alike from cars that maybe aren't paying as much attention uh, to the signage as they should be.
1: Thank you. Um, I guess
0: my comment on kind of the look and feel of it is just sort of generally what we want the look and feel of park lane to be like is it more um festive and you know kind of a farmer's market feel or is it something that's we want it to feel more permanent even if it's evenings or seasonal um so I think that that's that's where I'm coming from is uh you know the the sandwich boards I think are fun and festive um that street festival kind of feel and that's fun. Um, we want it to look like something a little more sophisticated than, you know, having planters um, or the the metal fencing there um, uh, would be, you know, a way to go. Uh, so to me, I don't know, it, it feels a little
1: bit uh, premature, I guess, to be talking about this at this point. <laughs>
10: Okay, thank you. Yeah, um, with the one thing I just want to mention with the cyclists, um, that's cyclists and pedestrians are the main reason we're not looking at a gate as um, maybe the best option, just because it does end up as a barrier um, that people can't walk in between, whereas something like planters or bollards or, you know, um, individual fences um, do provide that space in between and are, are more welcoming. So Um, But yes, definitely noted on that, and um, I think it's a good point on the the style as well. You know, we'll be providing examples, but, um, you know, branding the street um, is going to be something that will be really important for recognition, placemaking, moving forward if there's a a longer term closure. Hey, thanks. Thank you. So...
1: Yes, yeah, so
11: sim- similar to access control. We wanted to see if any of the commissioners had any feedback on some of the strategies that we're looking at for the different scenarios um, for the stormwater planters. One note I did want to make in response to the commissioner's comment about flooding. Um, the stormwater planters have an emergency overflow so they provide kind of keeping those and providing um, access to that allows um, during large storm events kind of high flow bypass of the water and in a year-round closure um, any kind of talk about removing the stormwater planters would have to be in association with how are we managing stormwater to prevent ponding and flooding and so that's not that those systems would be going away it'd be sort of okay what's what's another alternative that works um with the kind of programming desires for a, a Full year round street closure.
1: Brian?
2: Yeah, so um, in terms of the soil height being raised, I think that makes sense as long as it's um, mapping out from a stormwater perspective. One thing that I was thinking about was when these systems were installed, uh, they probably had everything put in and there could have been settlement. I don't know if maintenance over the years has accounted for that, but that if the original soil settled. That means they are deeper now than they were when they were originally constructed. So putting in that, you know, six or whatever number of inches of soil may actually take it back to what it originally was. So that would be one consideration there. Um, I also think having taller plants and a more aesthetic variety is probably a a good treatment that would um, provide some benefit throughout the area.
1: Any other comments from commissioners? Um, how about Raphael and Shri? Been quiet tonight.
5: No comment on my
1: end. Okay. Great. All right. Um,
10: our last prompting question for you. So, um, on this slide, we just are showing several examples. Not necessarily, you know the. End all be all for programming ideas on the street, um, but just some initial brainstorming of you know um, programming we've seen successful in in other places and other street closures. Um, so what's really important here is that you know any programming and activation complements the adjacent businesses um, and doesn't necessarily take away from them. So something we are looking at um, is how can the adjacent businesses um, or and um, other you know, local organizations uh, be partners and help um, activate the street, um, have ownership over it, ensure that, you know, any activation is is complimentary and, and works with their businesses, as well as, you know, help um, spread the the workload from city staff, you know, this is a lot of work to put on these types of activations. Um, and if we can have, you know, local champions on the street, um, that's only going to make it more successful. So, um, again, just an initial preliminary list. We wanted to see what what you all thought, and if you have any other ideas um, for how to engage the
1: businesses in in the programming. Patrick, just a question. I mean, is there
12: actual dollars and cents of you know to sponsor some of these planned activities, or or is this the one thing is build it and they will come? Like, you know? Yeah. So in our
10: um, analysis, we're going to likely include um, allowances for putting this type of uh, activation on. Um, But yeah, they would have to be, the funding would have to be secured um, prior to it actually happening, which I don't believe is earmarked yet.
12: Right. So that, you know, just following up on that, I think that's one of the things is, you know, how sustainable, if we are saying that these are the benefits and this is what we think will happen, you know, is there something to actually make it happen, right? I think it's, um, so yeah, so just my two cents on that front. And then how sustainable 10 years from now, are we doing it for short-term and then thinking that it
1: will be seed money versus you know, long-term you know, grounded. Thanks, Patrick. Any other comments?
0: Um, I think just kind of echoing back to, again, hearing what the business owners said tonight and um, also off of some of uh, Patrick's comments, um, really making sure that we're, um, have that communication, the back and forth and understanding um, what the benefits are and you know, sort of the, why are we doing this? And is it working? And making sure that we're tracking that. Um, you know, is it working for the businesses? Is it working for um the people of Kirkland? And, you know, making sure we've got metrics in place to actually measure that we're
1: um, achieving the purpose of of doing this. Yeah, I might,
2: that's a really good point, Faith. Um, you know, as we talk about the scoring of all the different options and the three rough options that are together, you know, the purpose of what we're doing is making a change to park lane that's going to be more permanent. Um, And one thing that I'm kind of thinking would be beneficial for a lot of the business owners is to have the no action option scored as well so that there's a clear kind of way to discern the decision-making of for council. Okay. Uh, it, it's an option. I just wasn't sure if it would be included in the scoring. So it's,
14: it's my understanding status quo is always, or no action is always on the table, but did it make sense? What, our commissioner was saying about kind of scoring the status quo against these three options is that something we're planning to do
10: yes um yeah sorry that definitely that does make a lot of sense um in yeah we can look at how to do that in an apples to apples way um as compared to the scenarios um the other piece that we're making sure to include as the baseline elements that Nathan talked about at the beginning, which is, you know, regardless of a street closure, things that would need to be done to bring the street up to, um, you know, level of, of maintenance that it, it really should be at. Um, so yes, that's definitely something we can do.
11: I just wanted to add, you know, we're going to be evaluating and rating these against the objectives, um, kind of the guiding principles and the measurable objectives um, that have been identified. But we're not gonna be ranking or comparing them against each other. What we're trying to do is create create the best of each scenario. And so I just wanna kind of make sure that that's clear as we're sort of evaluating evaluating each of these um, individually.
10: Yeah, and and again, we're just um, putting together as much information as we can so that council can make
1: an informed decision about the future of the street moving forward. Another key component, because I think
14: I heard this come up, is um, you are including some project cost estimates as well in your study. Uh, Yes, yes. okay. Yes, so that's
10: uh, planning level.
14: Okay, great. Not detail, of course, but just high level costs and because I think that's been a data point that has been missing in the past both a data point for you know capital improvements that you're recommending um but also um staff support improvements so staff maintenance and and that's sort of thing is is also part of your uh, study is that right I just want to confirm that
10: Correct. Yes. Okay. We'll be looking at costs for infrastructure and amenities, as well as staff resources required to maintain and put on everything that's included. in. Thanks. The- yeah. I thought, I thought so. I just wanted to confirm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our more quantitative way of assessing these. Um, in addition to the guiding principles, which is, you know, aside from costs, how well does it achieve the the goals? So kind of two different ways to look at them.
1: Uh, this is Patrick again. Just you
12: know Nathan, your comment about we're trying to you know it's great that we're trying to get the best out of each scenario, but I was a little confused in terms of when you were saying we're not trying we're not trying to compare
1: scenarios to each other. Did I hear that right, or
11: correct yeah, we're we're not trying to define which one is better., um, oh, okay. We're, okay, so we're, right? we're evaluating these against the guiding principles and the objectives and sort of um you know, it will be up to council essentially to kind of make a decision to identify you know what is better for the community and kind of given the kind of all the different things that um things and people and that are impacted and oh, opportunity. That's,
12: yeah that's that's fair to say so if i'm hearing it right it's more like you're giving us some criterias but it will be uh, at the end they start even making seeing like how many stars
1: are there for scenario yeah. one scenario Thank you. Okay. Any other comments from commissioners? Okay. Raphael?
5: Sorry, I was muted. No, um, that answered my question. Thank you. They beat me to it.
10: Great, well, thank you all. We appreciate um, the discussion and the time this evening. Again, we'll plan to be back with you in late May um, and we'll share our draft report with you ahead of that. So you have some time to dig into the details and um, we look forward to um, meeting with you again at that time.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Okay, uh, our next agenda item is
0: the Trans- transportation master plan uh, 2022 progress report. We'll hear from transportation manager, Joel Funt and we are joined by Blair Daly, transportation project coordinator who will provide a briefing on the transportation master master plan, progress report, uh, capital improvement program, investment tracking and transportation concurrency.
13: Thank you, charitable and commissioners. So um, I'm just gonna provide a real brief introduction. Uh, This is something that we've reported to the commission on before. It was one of the the work items out of the TMP update and um, Blair has been working on developing and refining uh, the progress report for a number of years. And so I wanted to uh, come and report back on that. So I'm gonna hand it over to Blair to talk about the progress report, and then I'll be covering the transportation concurrency and the CIP tracking.
15: Thanks, Joel. Yeah, so for for a reminder for all, each of the items that appears in this infographic is uh, related to an item that's called out for, for measuring in the TMP. And we're talking about the 2015 version of the TMP, of course. Um, so we we order the, the modes. We, we look at items by mode, and we order them in the same order that they appear in the Transportation Master Plan. And uh, 2018 was the first year we produced this annual report. Uh, there's one for 2019 as well. 2020, there was not one, but 2021, there was one. And um, so it's, it's an exciting time as we come up to, to a point of updating the transportation master plan. We know that um, some of the things that we've been measuring that are related to the 2015 TMP will change. Uh, some of the goals may change. Some of the things that the, the TMP calls to measure will change. Uh, but for the time being, we continue to measure the progress that we're making on completing the goals in the 2015 TMP And completing is how we we tend to frame this. So we're looking in a lot of these measures for 100% completion of various various goals. Um, So I will start with the safety-related measurements. So we look at both numbers and rates of disabling injuries and fatalities that occur on Kirkland's roads. And we look at them in three-year periods. So um, we can see... That uh, on the 2022 report, um, the three most recent years, the, both the numbers and rates are about the same as the three prior years. And uh, that that represents kind of an, an evening out of the numbers and rates uh, over the last two, three-year periods. And, and I can show you how that compares with uh, last year's progress report, where the numbers were regrettably increasing. So that evening out Uh, does represent some progress, but not uh, declining numbers in the three most recent years uh, that we'd like to see and that we're continuing to to work toward. Under the walk mode, uh, there are three items, school walk routes, completing sidewalks on at least one side of the street along all official school walk routes on arterials and collectors that's been nearly 100% complete for a number of years now. There was a sidewalk construction project completed in 2022 that brought that uh, Twain figure from 91% up to 93%. Only the Tw- uh, Twain and Sandberg Elementary School walk routes are anything less than 100% complete with that goal of sidewalk on at least one side of the street. Related to crosswalks, the TMP from 2015 uh, had seven, uh, it, it put forth 71 light deficient crosswalks that, that were slated for having lighting upgrades. And uh, this number 54% has stayed the same um, in 2022 as it was in 2021. So uh, no upward progress on that one um that pertains to or relates to challenges working with PSE uh, as well as that uh, th- the further we get along checking off the the list, the the, the more expensive and, and kind of challenging the the crosswalk projects get. I imagine that those 71, Crosswalks that were selected in 2015 will not be the same as what occurs in the the TMP update. So this is an example of a measure that will probably change some uh, when the updated TMP is in place. And then the 10-minute neighborhoods item, again, that's been nearly at 100% uh, since we started producing this report in 2018. That pertains to having sidewalk on at least one side of the street along um, the highest scoring 10-minute neighborhood walk routes uh, pertaining just to our materials and collectors. Moving to the bike mode, uh, the bike lanes network, the, the update to the active transportation plan, of course, includes a, an updated planned bike lane network and an updated greenways network. Um, but measuring our progress on completing the planned network from 2015, uh, we're at 81%. So 47 of the 58 planned miles have uh, have bike lanes. And then looking at greenways, uh, we have completed the, the first set of greenways. That's the 75th and 128th greenways. And then um, that, so that counts for the 12% complete. And then the 6% in design is uh, what I believe we're still calling the stores to shores greenway. And then a remaining 82% um, in planning as far as uh, pertaining to the, the that original plan network. Under the transit mode. The Transit Implementation Plan has 11 projects slated for completion between 2020 and 2035 that will improve speed and reliability of transit. Uh, we call out here the, the planned um, I-405 Stride BRT and the Rapid Ride K-Line. And then pertaining to passenger environment and having comfortable places to wait for buses, uh, this 93% figure is our highest uh, yet among the TMP progress reports we produced. That is that 93% of Kirkland's 30 highest ridership bus stops have shelters. And of course, uh, when a stop has a shelter, it also has a bench and lighting in the shelter and typically a, a trash can. So uh, near 100% there, but that's one where on, a, on an annual basis, which bus stops are in the top 30 highest ridership change. So that number can go can go down as well as up. And we're anticipating a a Bus Shelter project to be completed this year at 116th Avenue Northeast and Northeast 124th Street. On the automobile or driving related mode, pavement condition index of 73 with a max of 100 is a, a score that is above the council designated target of 70. And then when it comes to the ITS, this 90% completion um, is an example of one of the goals that the city's on track to complete in, in, in far, uh, far far earlier than year 2035, which accounts for the 20-year time horizon of, of the 2015 version of the TMP. Um, that is that 56 of the 62 city-operated signalized intersections are fully updated to uh, standards
1: Then we have a key transportation
15: project section where uh, each year we take a snapshot uh, December 31st of that year, how many city transportation projects are underway. And it's, it's always been around in the 40s. And so uh, as of December 31, 2022, 45 city transportation projects were underway. And we highlight some examples there. The icons represent what modes are most pertinent to those, those projects, which modes will be improved. And then uh, we provide a map there with the locations of those six projects that we chose to highlight.
0: Hey, Blair, this is Faith. Sorry, before you move on, I was, what is number five, the Northeast 132nd Street intersection improvement? Which intersection is that?
15: Joel?
13: Those are the two right turn lanes on Northeast 132nd Street, the, the right turn lane at 108th Avenue westbound, and then the eastbound right-turn lane at the entrance to the Juanita High School.
3: Okay, thanks. I could add on that slide, um, these are great graphics by the way, um, Blair. Um, I would suggest maybe adding another project uh, on that map, and that's the 124th Avenue Northeast project from 116th to one, Northeast 124th Street, because it does add a significant amount of um, wider sidewalks and cycle tracks, and I think that would be a benefit to show that on the map. It's just be south of number one.
15: Thank you. Let's see, I'm wondering, that might be the one that we swapped out from last year's report, 116th Ave and Northeast One Twenty Fourth Street. Is that what you're referring to? That accounts for all four modes. But yeah, thank you. And then the final He's, page. Of the, sorry, ahead.
0: just a, a comment on that number five, um, the the intersection, um, it seems like it should have the icons for walking and biking because anywhere there's an intersection, those other modes have to get through as well. Is it just that that project did not attempt to address the other modalities? Or I'm just kind of confused by the, that those icons aren't there.
13: Yeah, I think there was a, go ahead, Joel. I can touch on that a little bit. We were, we're trying to be fairly um, um, transparent about what modes that those improve. So we still want to provide at those intersections, you know, uh, safe crossings and um, and make sure that those modes are accommodated. For For example, with both of those, we, you know, we did put in green bike lanes and we did in those cases, it is a good point that we, although the bike lane ends up between the right turn lane and the through lane it is now a full standard width five foot bike lane, unlike a lot of one thirty second. But we felt like it really wasn't improving the you know the walking and um, bike network. It it maintains that network and it maintains a safe operation there. But what you know the the one oh eight right turn lane is really about making the interchange function. You know it significantly reduces that um, uh, westbound vehicle queue. And, and that type of thing. So that's why we were why we emphasize those two modes.
1: Okay, thanks for that explanation.
15: Sure. The last page of the infographic provides a year over year table. Uh, the population is provided up here because that's what is used to generate the disabling injuries rate and fatalities rate. Um, it is a positive thing to note that um, we saw zero fatalities on Kirkland streets in 2022. The first time we've seen that since 2013, so 10
1: years back. With that, I'll hand it over to Joel. Thank you, Blair. You're welcome. See it? Yeah, sharing it. Yeah, so I was just asking: Are we? Are we? Taking comments on the previous on the measurement
12: slides or are we moving on to a different topic?
13: Uh, we can take questions on that now, or we could do it. I can do it, we can come back to it after I do the second half of the presentation. Although, I can I can wait.
12: Yeah. If it's
1: negative.
13: yeah. Okay. So um uh let's see if I can don't see the uh, remote mouse. So sorry that I'm kind of back behind you guys, but, um, it's like I'm remote. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, uh, want to talk about some of the other transportation performance measures that we have been working on. I did want to highlight that final page that, um, that Blair showed that, that actually where we, you know, along with the infographic that we kept these information from the previous years. That was actually a reflection of a comment that we got from the commission when we first put this together a number of years ago. And I think it's been a nice addition to be able to go back and look at some of the historical information as well. Um, So I wanted to talk about, oh, what did I do? I'm gonna share
1: screen. Now. Okay. And then I'm going to Mm -hmm. (laughs) Joel. Well, let's do this. There's just a couple slides. So we're just going to work from the, work from the notes. Uh, I will do this. Here we go.
13: So, um, First one I wanted to go over is uh, the transportation CIP investment tracking. So um, what the 2015 uh, TMP did, um, and this was described in the memo, but I'll briefly try to cover it here too, is it included um, information that was broken up by uh, how the transportation master plan, the the 20-year plan, was broken up by investment in mode. And as a, as a surrogate for tracking that we're investing consistently with the plan um, by mode was to look at the dollar amount. So um, if we look here in the 20-year plan, um, the total planning amount reflected in the 20-year plan was $140 million dollars. And when you divide that up between the four um, major modes—walk, safety, bike, and train, five um, modes—and auto, those were the percentages that it was in uh, with it, that were reflected in the plan. So, what we've been doing since the 2015 plan is tracking um, how we're investing uh, in the CIP compared to that. So, if we look at our investment to date. Um, that's been expended prior to 2023. The city has invested $90 million in transportation infrastructure. And of that, these are the percentages by mode. And so um, we're actually over, um, over our, our 20-year allocation by 6% for walk and over in bike, you know, consistent on safety, a little under on transit, and under investing um, in the auto mode compared to those percentages. Uh, when we look at the recently adopted six year CIP, these are the investments in um, that are included in that, which total up to almost a hundred million dollars. So it's um, within the the timeframe of 2015 to 2028, the city has invested, you know, um, $190 million in uh, transportation. And uh, in this CIP, we're looking at almost half of that being invested in projects that are focused on the walk mode. This is admittedly an inexact science. Um, projects do bleed over between modes. Um, but we do, when we talk about a um, like a major um, roadway project, we do put that in auto, so um, so, or in some cases with some very big projects, we do take the time to split them between between the different modes, but we try to keep that to a to a minimum. So, um, in looking at this, once again, investing significantly in um, in the walk mode, almost fifty percent of this uh, amount, um, and then pretty consistent with the other modes, and then um, under the percent allotment for auto. Um, One thing that I think we're seeing reflected in this number is council's decision to invest uh, significantly in the Safer Routes to School Action Plan with the adoption of the Transportation Benefit District. And that Transportation Benefit, those Transportation Benefit District dollars um, heavily focused on walk and um and on bike but significantly on what projects. So um, you know, we feel pretty good about that. That's pretty consistent with the city's policy direction. And um and and I did I did this is the table that does not include maintenance and um other others a very small category, but maintenance because one of the things you you saw on the other table was that it, maintenance is under our our investment. It shows the percentage under our investment target. But the reason for that is not that we're really under investing in the maintenance category. It's that the pie has gotten bigger. And so the proportion of meeting our maintenance investment targets has gotten smaller. So it's a little bit confusing. So we decided to just focus on on these modes. Um, Moving on to the next thing. Um, Transportation concurrency. So uh, in the most simplest terms, uh, transportation concurrency means that the capacity of um, the transportation system matches the demand. And so it means that we're building transportation projects, um, more planned transportation projects, more quickly um, or as quick as we are seeing development. And so the city uses a um, methodology based on person trips. And so that's what this slide is um, indicating. And so on the blue side of the slide here, we have um, person trip supply, and um, we're just gonna stay in a very you know, high level here, um, not trying to explain exactly what transportation, the all the intricacies of transportation concurrency, but, um, You know, one of the things that we are trying to do um, is just report out regularly on how we're doing. Um, And so uh, on the supply side, which is generated by either completing or funding transportation projects, we have a total of 18, a little over 18,000 person trips of supply available. It's kind of like a checkbook count method um, that we use here in Kirkland. And then on the other side, these are like the withdrawals from the checkbook on the green side here. And um, we had between 2016 and 2021, about 4,000 person trips of demand um, consumed. And then 2022, an additional um, 1,100 person trips of demand consumed. That number was um, quite a bit bigger. Um, and this number was a um, somewhat bigger too. Um, until, uh, until Google, the development agreement um, and the, the Google development of the Lee Johnson site um, went away. Um, and so that comes out to almost 5,000 um, trips. And so when you compare the 18,000 to 5,000, we have a um, surplus right now of um, 13, a little over 13,000 person trips. So, um, you know, thumbs up. We're in good shape from a concurrency perspective.
0: Well, I have a question. Sure. I, I, I'm sure I've asked this question in the past and I've just forgotten the answer. Um, do these trips, are they all modes? Um, or are they ve- um vehicle modes only? Or
13: one of the one of the benefits of our system, and Kirkland was a leader in this along with like City of Bellingham and City of Redmond, um are what is and was that our um our trip this is this is all, all modes. So these are person trips. Um, so, uh, if we have a project that is adding any type of people moving capacity, whether that's a bike lane or a sidewalk or, you know, a transit project that is all reflected in here. So any, any project that adds people moving capacity makes us more concurrent.
0: Kind of tying this back to the sort of spending um i was curious about kind of the cost per trip um by the different modes or the spending per trip by different modes recognizing that you know if the city is you know, kind of behind in the non car infrastructure that there might be more kind of spending per trip i i mean or is that the case i it it's that's
13: kind of where my so um our our system is also fairly unique it's actually the uh, redmond uses a similar type of system is we based on the analysis that we did we came up with a cost of a trip based on the infrastructure investment of about ten thousand dollars per trip and so basically all trips cost the same so it averages out to about $10,000 Ten thousand dollars worth of investment equals one
1: trip. Is um, is that really the case for the different modes, though?
0: I, I, I'm just trying to like figure out how <laughs> how to
13: really compare these. Um. So based on what, based on the mix of projects that we looked at, which was a suite of all the projects we did not look at the we did not analyze them for their person moving capacity on a per project basis it was basically um this 20-year plan uh, the suite of projects represents this number of person trips and so um when you take those together and you do the math basically it comes out to about ten thousand dollars per trip
12: is it fair to say this is more of like a larger macro analysis? Yes, it is, is very meant to be like this is meant to be to to address the Growth Management Act. Right.
13: Like, right. Right. And and one thing, one thing that we found um with concurrency is that uh this is a rather the city um, has taken a rather pragmatic approach with concurrency because um concurrency um is really a, a very blunt instrument. You know, everybody Um, everybody that comes in up to the point where you trigger concurrency and halt development doesn't care how many trips they use. It's like um, concurrency doesn't pick between, you know, a new strip mall, a new, new gas station and a new, you know, mixed use, low cost housing project. Concurrency doesn't do anything about any of those things. What it does is it tells you, are you keeping pace? And so the, the feeling was is that the the more simple and straightforward we make it, the better, the more, the more time we have to work on more important things like, you know, building good projects and things like that. So um it is very much a, a macro um, level analysis. And it is something during the TMP that we will likely need to kind of get this commission kind of up to speed on kind of the nuances and details of it. So that um you know, we we the commission is comfortable with how the TN, how we are saying this new TMP is meeting our level of service targets and is going to be. You know, we're ready to because what we do is each with each TMP we kind of reset the concurrency and start start tracking from there. Okay,
0: I'll let you continue.
13: Okay, <laughs> um, well, that was my uh, last slide. And so I am going to stop
1: sharing um, and oh, okay. Oh, there. Sure. So you yeah. and Blair are
13: done? Yeah. Okay. And so I was just, <laughs> just was sure if that was clear. I was going to uh, say, you know, we're happy to take any questions or other comments. We go again. Good. <laughs> it's Patrick again. Um, you know,
12: I, 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 go, um, I go, I harp back on the pavement indexing. I and mean, we've talked about this before in terms of, you know, finding a better way. Um, but for this, for this, uh, you know, iteration at least, I think my, as a layman, if I was a layman, Someone, uh, just looking at it, the, the pavement in condition index, it's like 73 target, 70. We're good. Right. And that, I think that was what was conveyed, Blair. But my my issue is that it's actually going down. Right. You look at the summary chart, and it's like it should be a, a graphic showing a decline. And, you know, some of these graphics don't show like, yeah, it's good or is this bad? Like 73, is that good or is that bad? Because for me, as a mowering public, I see more potholes. Right. I, I, don't, I see things degrading. Right? And I've said that before. In previous meetings and so forth, so I'm kind of torn again on that, on that one. I keep on picking on that one, but it's it's one that
1: very, very, uh, you know, very public facing. Just talk to that a little bit because you were you were um, you're highlighting something
14: the council has also noted is that PCI decline over the years. Um, And this year, Mm -hmm. I would just say maybe a month or so ago, we just kicked off um, a planning effort we're wanting to do with our streets. Um, I'm calling it a 10-year strategic plan, if you will, but it's really to address in 10 years, that PCI number will go even further, decline. You know, it's just inevitable because our dollars, while... The very generous residents of Kirkland passed the street levy, you know, um, a permanent street levy, um, mainly I think to support street maintenance, it is capped at 1%. (laughs) And so again, it is capped at 1%. And when you have inflation and CPI at 10%, we can, we're buying less. Slurry seal. We're buying less overlay. We're buying less. It just isn't going as far as it needs to do. And so we're looking at. And so, just to be frank about it, over the years we've started relying um, more on our street division to do a lot of you know paving, prepping the slurry seal um, before the contractor comes in doing a lot of that work. but the trade-off is they are not doing the perform um, preventative maintenance work um, like chip seal and you know things like that that really are helping to kind of keep the street and, you know, keep it in you know fairly good condition for longer. Um, so we, we are noting that because we see all that, I've really um, asked our CIP division, asked our streets operational side to come together and hopefully in the next year, really look at what do we want to do with our streets division in the next 10 years? How does this actually align with what we're seeing in the trends in PCI? How does this, um, how do we plan to address the residential streets? As you can imagine, I mean, we're so fixated on arterial, you know, the streets that have huge volumes, but what about the residential streets that are seeing alligator cracks and, you know, in some cases, gravel? How do we handle that? So we're looking at that. This is meant to just be a quick, you know, sim- meant to be simple <laughs> examination of well, how are we doing at a high level? Um how are we doing and implementing the transportation master plan, but you're hitting the nail on the head over time. We are not going to hit, and we've already done that analysis. We are not going to be able to meet even that 70% target. So we've got to figure out a plan to address it.
12: Right. And, and, and my point really is, you know, I think we should, be able to use this as a mechanism to sound the warning bell, at least manage expectations. You know, instead of saying, oh, everything's all right. You know, you've got 99%. This one should be like front center. Like, look, guys, this is like warning bell that we must... But to me, it's, it's, it's a trade-off. Well, if you can't maintain it, don't build new, don't build more. Maintain what you have now, right? Almost. So to me, it's almost like, yeah, we're spending on maintenance, but we're spending a lot on capital improvements. Should we be paying more, uh, you know, paying, uh, allocating more to maintenance? Because yeah. it's,
14: yeah. it's good question, yeah.
12: Good policy question. Right, right. I mean that's 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 where for me is, that's where it really comes down to a policy. Like are we prioritizing new versus maintaining what we already have?
0: Yeah. I'm in sort of my questions of Joel earlier, just sort of stepping back and looking at the whole transportation system more holistically. And, you know, as, especially as we start to get into the transportation master plan update um really trying to look forward to what are our goals, what are the outcomes we're expecting and feeding into it these kinds of questions of, you know, four different modes. What does it cost to build these out? What does it cost to maintain them? Um, and it, let that kind of drive and help with the decision making around what the goals and outcomes are, and what's feasible, and especially given, um, you know, these funding constraints that that we have. Um, so I, that I, I still feel like we we still operate so much from a very car-centric decision-making space, right? Like cars, especially vehicles, are getting heavier and heavier. They tear up the roads faster. They make maintenance more expensive. If we can incorporate goals that help reduce reliance on cars for um, passenger vehicles for um, local trips, how does that impact the need for maintenance and how does it impact the budget planning around that? So that's that's what I'm hoping to think about in, in the Transportation Master Plan update.
14: The other thing that we haven't done a very good job, you know, just to be frank about this is, and we're working on it, it's a gap that we are trying to address. Is, I think you said it to a degree, Faith, is around when we build new infrastructure, what does it take to maintain it? You know, when do we have to restripe it? When do we have to overlay it again? Or when do we slurry seal it? When do we, um, you know, how often are the catch basins being, you know, what's the street sweepings? I mean, all of that, that goes into actually that infrastructure. And so this is something that we're hoping to improve on. We are working with a consultant to help us try to identify that and just to put it in monetary terms, um, you know, instead, naturally what happens over time in government is we we just kind of added on it just kind of gets added and we absorb it and what happens over time and and you know we heard some of that comments tonight you know people see um unfortunately a decline in maintenance or they see the condition not to the you know expectation that they want Um, it's because you know it's government it's peanut butter we're spreading it like peanut butter, and we're not being very strategic about how we want to allocate the limited dollars and making kind of some choices. Um, but everyone has a desire. You know, we see it all over from Q alerts that we receive. There are a lot of expectations and a lot of wants out there. And so we we do, um, we spread it like peanut butter. That's how we handle it. And so it's, everyone gets a little bit, but it's not a lot. And it, you know, and you do feel your, I think someone else said it tonight too, like we're getting half of what we really want. It's a struggle, but it is something, and this is something you all have also said, thankfully, is you want to see what the maintenance costs are. Also recently attended a neighborhood meeting. Maybe some of you were there when we talked about the Juanita Um, project and the goodwill hill project great questions from the residents what are the maintenance costs and again another separate project we're hoping to improve on is making sure that our capital project engineers can answer those questions when they go out and they're hosting hosting these meetings when residents ask these very very thoughtful questions we can say this is what it what maintenance includes so another gap area we're hoping to address. It, it's just taking some time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that increasing that transparency will be really key. And, you know, when, especially when it comes time for, you know, ballot measures and, uh, mm-hmm. trying to get more funding, you know, if there's ever an argument to increase that 1% cap, like people really understand there's trade-offs, um, and, and I mean, like, I like your peanut butter analogy, and um, I found myself making the comment to someone the other day who was visiting Kirkland, I saw in the grocery store, and they were like, it's so nice and clean, and the roads are like, everything is so nice here. Oh. And I was like, well, it's really expensive to live here, so it better be really nice. <laughs> um, and so we want to continue to have that quality of life if it's going to continue to be
7: um, expensive
12: to live here. <laughs> sure. Well, no, I, I do want to challenge that peanut butter approach because, you know, I've I faced it in other places in Massachusetts and whatnot. I mean, you know, as I've said before, PCI, PCI index and so forth, right? You, if you prevent it earlier, there's less you have to pay for to rebuild it, right? So for me, I, I would challenge the, the city to actually look at it from a strategic view of if you spend more preventative, right, ounce of prevention. Long term goes longer, longer ways or buying power. If the issue is that we can't rebuild street, maybe we shouldn't rebuild some streets, but invest in more and prevent it in other places. Those are some hard decisions if there is a limited amount of funding, which I think there is, right? There's always going to be a, a capital, const- uh, some kind of funding constraint. So I would challenge that it would be hey, should, we should be looking at it from a preventative standpoint. Like, how, where should we be targeting investments to prevent those early crackings or, you know, things that might need a paint job or something to rather than have to re- reconstruct it.
1: That's music to my ears.
0: That's great.
14: And I would say I wanna applaud Joel and his team that they are reaching out um, with our operations division and on the TMP update and asking these questions around maintenance and making sure that the TMP does, um, you know, at least I think raise those policy questions Cause that's the appropriate document, you know, to raise those policy questions. So um, way, way to go Kimberly and team for doing that.
13: And I would add that there are some areas where um, the council um, and has invested over the last couple of years, added significantly to the investment in preventative maintenance. For example, the striping program, um, As almost used to be 250, and now it's like 700 thousand dollars a year, and that has allowed, um, you know, this this year with the striping program, we'll be doing a much more ambitious job of, um, you know, doing more thermoplastic instead of going out and replacing a single bar of thermoplastic at an intersection. We'll be redoing the whole intersection um, for the first time ever we'll be going back on all the principal arterials and replacing all the RPMs instead of um, some people, buttons, turtles, um, uh, you're replacing all of those. So we have a consistent instead of just doing those when we do a new project or repaving, um, you know, uh, the buffered bike lanes, the city has not gone through and refresh the hatching in the buffer, we've just done the two long lines. And so this year we're gonna be doing the whole project because that was our initial standard so that's what we should be maintaining so we are trying to make progress in some areas so that we you know um and also the striping program is taking all the all the curb paintings so we're making sure that we're making sure we're refreshing all the curb painting because we used to do that with supplementals to our sign shop and um we've just had over the last four or five years no luck in hiring supplementals Positions. So, um, so, you know, I, I hope that over time some of those things will be reflected as well.
1: Any comments, Brian?
2: Yeah, I think before we wrap up, one thing I want to go back to is, like some of our goals that we talk about here. Measuring metrics, making the city safer, good place to travel no matter no matter which mode you're using. I think having that zero fatality number at the end of last year is something that really needs to be marked and kind of celebrated as an accomplishment of a lot of work by city staff, everyone involved in our transportation network. Um, And, you know, we kind of talk about all of these things that can happen year to year. We live in the moment. There can be a pandemic. There can be, you know, a freak weather storm. But at the end of the day, these numbers that we have that are tracking our results, they are what they are. And um, I think what we're putting together in the next TMP is really going to help build towards hopefully a continuing trend.
0: That that zero fatality number really stood out to me, too, in comparison to hearing you know that in the state level and other areas um, there was increase in fatality. So I think you know to Brian's point, um, it does. I think there is credit due to the
1: efforts in the city to address safety and uh, to see us going in the opposite direction.
13: Thanks. Yeah, we were pretty pleased to see that too, especially after the year before and, and the trend during the, the pandemic to see that um, number. Now, every day, you, know, you just can't help but worry about that. Um, something we never want to see, but we were very pleased to see um, some of the efforts that the you know the commission and you know the city takes um, you know showing that there is it can make a
1: difference Any comments from other commissioners? None for me. Thanks for the explanation. Okay, I think we can be done with that. And now we're going to move into, that was uh, just updates, right? Go ahead, Joel.
13: Okay, so a couple of updates. One of the, what I wanna start out with is a few scheduling items. Um, One of them was to note, you should have all gotten an invite to the community, community appreciation event on um, Wednesday, April 26th, uh, 2023. That's the fourth Wednesday of next month. Um, so uh, to make sure you're all free for that, um, we are proposing to um, move the April Transportation Commission one night earlier to April 25th. And so um, uh, let hopefully that works for folks. Um, and we're going to move forward with that unless I hear otherwise and um, make that that'll be a special meeting. Um, And then uh, I also wanted to note that City Council had a study session on the Neighborhood Traffic Control Program and Lake Washington Boulevard study since our uh, study since our last meeting in January and they endorsed um, both um, recommendations that the commission made, one to implement the neighborhood traffic control program policy updates and the other to uh, endorse um, alternative one from the Lake Washington Boulevard study. And so uh, one thing that's happened since then, I will try to remember to send out a link, but uh, Victoria has updated the the neighborhood traffic control page website so that's a web page on the city website. So that's a whole new web page. It has all of the updated policy. It has the the wet, um, the new GIS map of all the data, um, all the count locations that um, city staff has done over the years, or actually just the last five years. Um, it's pretty amazing, and so that's um, that's now live and available.
9: I can show off Joel if you want. Yeah, sure. Okay.
1: you see the website?
13: So yeah, it does include the, um, you know, the police contact information, includes the the flow chart um, of kind of how the process works. And of course, Victoria's contact information. Um, And uh, and then down at the bottom are, you know, series of questions, you know, that can accordion out. And then if you go back up, we have the um, the NTCP traffic count map
1: available. So
13: um, all of those traffic counts are collected by our um, neighborhood, uh, I mean, our transportation engineering analyst, uh, David Gorley. And so he, you can see he's. He's very busy. It's one of his mini jobs, and um, he's got a, some tube counters, and he's out putting those down. We put those down based on requests we get from the community, um, and that is one of the key pieces of information we'll use as we're determining as we go through that tiered process that's reflected in the, um, the policy. So,
12: what's the what's the public unrolling or communication to the neighborhoods? About this program being read, you know. Is there an outreach process or just a notification that, hey, we're back up with this?
13: Or is it more just administratively, this is what we're going to do when we get requests? It's more of an administrative thing. Um, we get, we seem to get, seem to get plenty of activity. So, um, mark, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Thank you, Victoria. yeah yeah, great job um i also wanted to highlight um the downtown parking data collection that process that i talked about earlier um so the city is um moving forward with a um, we've selected a vendor called 11x and they are going to be uh installing um small they're like a puck kind of can thing in, um, in each individual parking space in uh, the downtown area to basically monitor um, parking occupancy, dwell time, that type of information. Doesn't collect any sort of I- identification around the vehicle. It's basically kind of an on off switch. Um, it's uh, installed. They make a small core into the pavement They put this this puck in and then they pour epoxy over the top of it. And it communicates wirelessly um, with a series of kind of central um, communication hub devices. And then that information is stored on the cloud. And we are gonna be collecting that information for a minimum of um, six months and uh, seeing how that works. Um, And one of the main things is to collect a whole bunch of data starting the middle of the year till the end of the year about, you know, what really is happening with parking in downtown um, so that we can understand, you know, the, the in, in, you know, in good times and bad, um, in good weather, bad weather, night, evenings, days, weekends, um, just having a really robust um, set of data that we can uh, look from and draw conclusions from as we move forward. In and um, the discussion around aid parking in, debt, in charging for parking in downtown. So um, that's that's you know. And the other thing we'll be doing is looking at that as a traveler information um, tool as well. Uh, they have been used in other other communities with quite a bit of success, and um, and they seem to be quite popular. So there'll also be a discussion around you know, is this a long term thing or are we just using them for a game? type of type of tool. So um, that's uh, just want to give a quick update on that.
1: Um, so
0: maybe you got to my question, but is so is the data available
12: close to real time? Yes, okay.
13: So okay,
12: so I'm putting on my uh, congestion pricing hat. <laughs> this is my world. Uh, but with, you know you know obviously there's technology that enables certain things, right? has there been a thought in terms of, you know, using this as a mechanism to increase, increase increasing parking capacity by having more turnover with parking, more dynamic parking kind of supply and demand sort of approach. So instead of building, building more smartly, using more of the, the existing infrastructure through that kind of, you know, and so it's almost like given now, you know, street parking meters, you know heavy cost infrastructure, this is like a, like mobile, so like park mobile sort of approach. Could that could this kind of help pilot that, or at least help engage that? Perhaps we should have some kind of like pricing mechanism
13: to better manage our current infrastructure. This um, these these tools are set up so that they could be used, and I think they they are used for um, dynamic pricing. So mm-hmm. we could go beyond just know, a dollar an hour all day, and, you know, have some variable pricing associated with it. Yeah, so my,
12: yes. so, so my follow-up question is, is, okay, so we're doing this parking study in terms of, you know, occupancy and so forth, but will there be a component of the of staff time or consultant time devoted to kind of looking at that kind of, hey, is there something more we can do besides just, you know, here's what
13: we found out? Just throwing it out there. Because again, I can
12: put in my congestion pricing.
13: <laughs> Eventually, yes, that's the intent is to use this information to inform, you know, what, how best to go forward in that, that pricing realm. Okay. Policy and all that stuff. Okay.
0: Great. I I have visions of, you know, being able to put one of those kind of reader board signs up, you know, kind of down on Carillon point area and other, you know, um, 85th street down by Costco that like, you know, here's the parking situation in downtown. You might choose to park here and take transit or you know, if we ever end up having like a bike share program, having other options for people to get into um, downtown and know that before they get downtown and face all the parking congestion. You
12: know, I work with closely with you know, folks from SF Park, you know, congestion pricing, all that stuff. That That's exactly it. I mean, that kind of dynamic, you know, even before you make the trip, right? You get to know a situation. You know, all. We've always looked at ways, and we're like, okay, do I get on i four hundred five or not? So, yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of like the possibilities of it in terms of congestion pricing. The only thing I would be kind of cognizant of is making sure that parking is still accessible for people at all levels, and not just people that have the the money to pay for
1: it. Yeah, it does get to be um, complex
13: parking is a, yeah, it's a complex uh, item. So, um, so just wanted to make sure that you were, commission was aware of that. The one other thing um, that I uh, wanted to mention is, uh, you may have heard with uh, city council, there was a, um, a, a legislative request memo related to, a request to do a, a pride related crosswalk somewhere in the city. And so that's something that staff has been working with council on. And we have identified a location in the Lakeshore Plaza near Marina Park. And that's something that we'll be installing this spring in, in, in advance of um, pride month and doing a celebration related to that. And then also we'll be working on developing a more global policy around decorative crosswalks and um, decorative um, intersections, and that's something that we'll be bringing back to the commission to get your um, your thoughts and opinion on as we get as we work on that. Um, it's, we'll be working, you know, we'll be using some of the work that other cities have done, and there are current, you know, of course, the um, you know MUTCD. Um, some of those things have very strong opinions about treatments um, in within crosswalks that we need to be mindful of, but um, we'll be ta- we're taking that into as we develop that policy. And, um, and so finally, uh, last but not least, it was not on the agenda, but um, I did want to take a moment to um, recognize that this is uh, Commissioner Asfelds Aaronsfeld's last meeting and um just wanted to say uh thank you for uh his service on the commission um, we are going to um, miss his uh quiet leadership and um, i've always really enjoyed working with him as chair up until recently and um and i'm you know looking forward to working with faith um uh, faith as his replacement but um it's uh it's been great working with you um you came onto the commission about the time I started the city. So, um, that, that will be, uh, that'll be a change not to have you on the commission, um, but thank you very much.
3: I appreciate that. Um, um, Joel, I, I've really, really enjoyed my time here at C on, on this commission and I'm going to really miss it. And I'm looking for a replacement to do something else, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, it's been great. Uh, everybody's been wonderful to work with, uh, great connection with the council and, uh, and just ability to serve the community and it's been very rewarding. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your service, Kurt,
13: and showing leading the way in in how to be a good chair. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again. So, um, and with that, um, that concludes the um, items that I had for this evening. Thanks,
0: Joel. Do we have any comments, updates? Anything to share from other commissioners?
2: I would have maybe one follow-up question from previous discussions. And um, I don't know if it's anything's known, but we talked about Park Lane earlier tonight, which really looks towards the future. And we talked about how there was kind of a gap for what will happen this summer. Um, has there been any kind of updates on that? For
1: actually, yes. Um, we, uh, we raised this issue
14: for our city manager and we said, you know, naturally we think residents are going to wonder what are we doing? Um, but I think because we're doing this evaluation and it's a bit kind of up in the air, I think, um, his preference is for us to kind of, um, not do anything this summer and kind of let's see how that study, um, how that the outcomes of the study and, and really go from there at that point. So, um, yeah, we, we wanted to find out because we thought, oh my goodness, there could be a chance. And, and I I don't know if you're aware how kind of duct tape and bubble gummy, it was kind of like how we had to do it. And, um, but I think the thought is if we get some direction from council on the study, then you no, know, I, I think it's about kind of making and funding. Okay. Funding plus that, that, that direction. Um, and then we would be all in on that. So, um, you know, it, I think it helps in a couple ways. ways. Um, recall the scramble. <laughs> Um that is, um, I think we shared this with you a few months ago. That is a two, two full month closure. Thankfully, or not. I mean, PSC has delayed it, but we made lemonade out of it and it actually works out because now it won't conflict with the Fourth of July parade. So as soon as the Fourth of July parade is over, we're it's it's happening. And it's two. if you recall, the council had a couple objectives or a couple um, alternatives to look at. It's kind of like four months with like definitely some amount of closure and then some lane open. Um, and it dragged the project on. I think the council, they they saw the alternatives and I think wanting to while knowing it's gonna be difficult, wanting to make that difficulty as short as possible. So we've been able in the, um, the docs kind of saying, this, this is your construction time that you have. And it's four full, no, eight full weeks of full closure, full closure. So you wanna avoid driving your car down there. Just don't do it. <laughs> but it's going to have an impact on the businesses. So we kind of, I think with that, with the park lane study, and we just, I think thought, you know, let's, that area of town's getting a lot of things happening. We don't need to kind of make it uncertain what's happening with park lane. Let's just kind of, so that's where we're going. I don't, it's not definite. He, you know um, we have to circle back with him and see um, see if he's had a chance to talk to the mayor and deputy mayor and get some feedback from them and 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 decide. So it's possible they s- circle back and say, "No, we want to do it anyways." But um, I think there's some reasons it makes sense to maybe pause on that.
2: Okay, I'd be interested just at our next meeting to hear. Oh, sure, come there and okay. um, also if there's any considerations for say. One off events that may still have closures, just kind of for us to have an understanding of um, what is happening this summer as we're kind of evaluating the wrap up of the study.
0: yeah And I think it'd be good just to, whatever the de- decision is, to announce it. So, to like for the public to know, because we've had this, you know, the past few years and then it's not going to like what's happening. Okay. Um, And maybe there could be, maybe one of those celebrations could be when the scramble is open.
14: (laughs) Absolutely. And um, at the end
0: of the summer. And there'll be a little mini
14: event of the groundbreaking, of course, there'll be an event of ribbon cutting and that sort of thing um, for the scramble. But yeah, I think that's, those are great. I don't, I don't know if we were going to announce to the public. So I'll definitely pass that on to our communications um, in the city manager's office.
1: Because you're right, people are wondering. If you're wondering, people are wondering. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I will tell you yeah, because. We are, two, by the way. Was that Raphael?
3: I, I couldn't hear that conversation. Well, I was just saying um, to uh, Julie that uh, I think it would be good to get the notification out to some of the places like the Merrill Gardens and the Senior Center because um, a lot of those folks use the sidewalks a lot to get around and need we'll to know in advance.
14: Absolutely. And that was something the council also pressed upon of we have to do really robust outreach. So we've already started um, meeting with the chamber, but um, we're looking, we're just talking about this the other day, electronic board signs, obviously on Lake, Washington, probably Central, 85th, maybe even Market. I mean, we're, we are thinking it has to be, um, and we know there are commuters um, that use it. So, no, we are definitely, and, and for the residents who live in that area in particular will be impacted because there's going to be detour. We have to do a detour. So those folks who are living with that detour for, you know, eight weeks, you know, our blessing is it's over the summer and you won't have school, but it will still be a hardship for some. So yes, we are planning big outreach, big communication campaign, hoping that no one wakes up and I never knew about this, hoping that doesn't happen, but, but definitely neighborhood associations, any group that will listen will come and talk. And I I want us to also just host a scramble project meeting just to answer questions and, again, get more more of the word out.
12: I did a, a question about you know, communication in terms of 130 seconds, The whole wash dot, roundabout, closure. Well, we oh, we-, <laughs> <laughs> we live there. That's, that's the, yeah, you know, swim lessons.
14: That. That the nighttime work affected you too.
12: Yeah. Oh, hopefully. No, not us personally, but our, 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 our you know, folks in the neighborhood and our friends. stuff. So. but just being sure that, you know, maybe it's not us, it's, it's washed out and it's, and then and just communicating, like, you know, you know, there was a plan and unfortunately mm-hmm. something happened and there was new, but it, I think it's, everyone's scrambling like what's going on understanding what that is and that communication to the to the neighborhood so
14: that detour will happen this week as well I think starting yeah. on Thursday
12: a so. whole week so um two,
14: yeah two yeah, weeks, yeah two weeks, maybe two weeks, two weeks, two weeks yeah two weeks. I want to say through the end of
12: yeah just depending on how fast they can move but just you, you know how we're communicating that and how the city's communicating that and just
1: something to be yes yes. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: I also kind of want to add one quick thing, Joel, what you mentioned earlier about the the crosswalk treatment. I think it's very cool that the city is doing that. Um, As a personal member of the LGBT community, like it's it's meaningful. And um, I've always enjoyed jurisdictions that are placemaking. No matter the type of treatment, it makes it feel like, you know, there's investment in the community and it's a place that people actually kind of have joy in the, the public realm rather than saying, this is asphalt for cars. And you know, we talk about that a lot. And it's it's one of those key elements, there is maintenance, but I I think in very targeted applications, it's really good to hear that that's being looked at.
0: Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we,
14: we were, and you know, sometimes we get these legislative request memos and we're like, oh no, our work plan, we've
1: got too much.
14: This is one where we're like, oh yeah, no, this is cool. We're happy to do
1: this one. <laughs>
0: I just have one um, comment I wanted to uh, tell you. About. I think that uh, you you know about the uh, Kirkland Town Hall on Bikes on Earth Day um, that's being put on by the sustainability ambassadors. Um, so just want to make sure that uh, people are aware of this um, event. And it's going to be student-led. They're starting at Juanita High School. They're kind of touring around. And uh, I think we'll end up at Lake Washington. No, they're going to end up at the... Uh, Farid and Spur Park, but they're going to tour around different schools, including Lake Washington High School.
14: That is one with Claudia. Balcucci. Claudia Balducci
0: is going to be there and other um, yeah. uh, elected officials. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, and I think they're still looking for student leaders. If um, people know of students in middle school and high school that would be interested.
14: We have to have Sri there, right?
0: Shree. <laughs> <Sri? laughs> <Yeah. laughs> If there are no other comments, I think we can
1: call it a night. Okay. All right. Good night, everyone.